Good day, everybody. I am your host, Dina, on Black Talk, where on Black Talk, we talk about things that mostly have to do with black folk. And I generally like to talk about things that make me go, hmm, and today is no different. Today, we're going to talk about R. Kelly and his 30-year sentence. So, here we go. Well, this weekend, you know, some friends and I were talking. We were at a party, and, you know, as the party kind of wound down, we got to talking about things that were happening in the news. And so, one of the things that came up was about R. Kelly and his 30-year sentence. And so, of course, you know, let me say right up front that um, I absolutely believe that R. Kelly is a um, deplorable. I think that he is, um, he has sexual, he's a deviant, a sexual deviant. Um, and I believe that R. Kelly has some problems. There's no doubt in my mind. And I really am thankful that a lot of these women and girls, young girls who have found their side, their their um, unfortunately have found themselves in the arms of R. Kelly and are happy about his sentence, that maybe from this point forward, you can get some sense of closure, some sense of relief. I am hopeful that you will find a way to not necessarily bury the hatchet, but find a way to pull your life and the things that have happened to you, pull that together and be able to move on with your life and put that behind you. Because in in one sense, he has gotten what he deserved. With that said, let me go further and say that the one thing that bothers me, and it's not necessarily about just simply R. Kelly and that sentence, but about our system. And so um, one of the things that really has me up in arms is it is the fact that R. Kelly um he has had problems not only has he had problems but he too was a victim and i know people get all up in arms and say all kinds of things you know um give me one second here say all kinds of things about the fact that you know they don't care that he was also a victim, then he should have not victimized anyone because he was a victim. But let's look at all of the the real proof of things. Um, I don't even know how to say this. All the, you know, all the evidence. We already know from a history of psychology that, you know, um, hurt people hurt people. We absolutely know that it is absolute evidence that a lot of people who have been victims of sexual abuse 
go on on some level to abuse. There are very few victims of abuse that don't abuse someone in their own way, whether it be verbal or sexual. Sometimes we look at these things and so we look at the difference in age, you know, these women who we call, um, what do you call these women who um, are, um, it was just on the tip of my tongue, but the, the, the women who are much older than the male counterpart. We look at them and think, you know, oh, yeah, girl, go ahead and get your groove back on. You know, Stella showed us how to get our groove back, right? But guaranteed, if you go back in many of those women's background, you'll find out that they were abused as children. And so now what they've done is they found these um, these young men that they can have a certain amount of control over. Let's not be fooled. You know, yeah, let's not be fooled. These women or cougars, if you will, they go after these young men for all the purposes of control. So it's the same difference, right? But we look at them with you know, big, big eyes. And we stay, we say things like Stella got her groove back on or Stella got her groove on. And that's not fair at all. Right. So now when I look at R. Kelly and, um, and I think about the fact that this young man has just been sentenced to 30 years and, you know, and not that he doesn't deserve something. He absolutely does. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the boy ought to be walking free. Not at all. However, the boy needed help. He needed a help. He needed help a long time ago and everybody knew it and nobody would do anything about it. And so when you are the one now that you've grown up and these people knew he needed help when he was a little boy. It's not this is now, you know, the evidence has all come forward and, and it shows that. This baby had been abused early, very, very early on by men and women. So he locked himself into, um, you know, creating music. I think that was just part of his escape. Now, he is a musical genius. There's no doubt about it. You can't take that from him. But by the same token, he... um. He has caused a great deal of pain, no doubt, to a whole lot of people, no doubt. But nobody has considered the great deal of pain that was that was brought to him. Nobody helped him. Everybody took clear advantage of him. And here's the other thing. There were, it was um, proven that there were mothers who ended up with businesses out of this deal. So that sounds to me like you sold your child. So if you profited by a book deal, by, you know, music deals, by brick and mortar businesses, you in essence sold your daughter and nothing happened to you. I'm just not understanding. 
I'm not even understanding how if my 15 year old child or my 14 year old child is in this man's house and I say that my child is a runaway and I know where my child is at. I'm not understanding why the police can't go in and get her. Even if she have to run back a thousand times, I don't understand why the police just can't go in and get her. Now, I, I understand that there are different laws in different places, and I don't know what the laws were, you know, in Chicago or wherever the heck he was. But at the but by the same token, it just seems to me that if my 15-year-old child, who I've said is a runaway, all I have to do is call and say, I believe she's in danger. And that should be enough for them to be able to go in there and get my child. So I, I'm not and I'm not, you know, I don't want to sit here and argue the point about whether he should or should not. All I'm saying is, is that we have a whole lot of people today who have been victims of abuse one way or another. And that is sad. So we have to find ways to help people. Now, ironically enough, I was sitting in the barbershop. And as I was sitting in the barbershop, we kind of we, we was talking about this again. And you know what ended up happening? What, once I said, I believe that because he was a victim himself, something should have been done for him a long time ago. And the minute I said that without even going on about anything else, there were several men in the barbershop that said, I too was a victim, right? And guess what? It was their babysitter. And so men don't come forward at all. A lot of times we know now that women don't come forward. The little girls don't come forward. That was the that was the start of the Me Too program. And we'll get into that in just a moment. However, Men don't come forward because somehow or another it is looked upon as, you know, if a woman seduces a young boy or a woman allows a young boy to have sex with her, you know, that's a notch on his bed post that is helping to teach him how to have sex. We have fathers when young boys turn 14, 15, 16, go get prostitutes for them to teach them how to have sex. That is abuse. And then we wonder why many of our children, many of our relationships, rather, many of our relationships go astray. There's something wrong in our relationships because we don't really know how to handle that thing called intimacy. Many of us struggle with that thing called intimacy because it doesn't really seem very intimate because we've had it taken from us a long time ago. We've had somebody misuse it and abuse it a long time ago. We had somebody call themselves helping us, teaching us, showing us long time ago. But really what it did was it messed up our minds because we as young children, we don't know how to handle that. See, you know, even in our, even in when we think about God, he doesn't want us to just, you know, arbitrarily enter into these sexual intimate relationships because they cause mental and, and, and heartfelt issues, good and bad. So now 
Now we're finding out that there are many, 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 many of our young boys who are now grown men today have been sexually assaulted, misused and abused by people that they that they trusted as well. Babysitters, many young girl babysitters, young women babysitters, teenage babysitters have abused so many of these young boys. So many. How about that? So what do we do? And now, unfortunately, these young boys grow up mishandling relationships with women. They abuse women. They misuse women. They don't know how to really handle a relationship, a sexual relationship with women. They want everything, you know, they will. That's why so many young boys and young men will screw everything that ain't nailed down. So. We as a as a society, we don't think twice about those things that happen to young boys. Until they're our babies. We don't even think twice about it, but when they happen to young girls. Everybody wants to kind of get up in arms. And then you have programs out there that are willing to help women come forward. And because, you know, they see women as the lesser of the species or the more, you know, the the men as more dominant, which is true. Don't misunderstand. It is true. And that's one of the bigger problems with men being sexually abused as children, because as they grow up, they mentally, physically and sexually abuse women. We need to put a cap on that quickly. We have to find a way to get these men to speak out so that we can begin to help them and then they can begin to go into relationships, much healthier relationships. Because all they do when they get into those relationships and they've got problems, they've never spoken out about it. The women that they they're in a relationship, she's been sexually abused and she has a problem. And so instantly she will allow him to be very dominant over her and she will just crawl in her own little shell and she'll take all kinds of abuse from him and he will deliver it. So we have to find help for them because really the truth of the matter is because they're the more he's the more dominant person. If he has a healthy head on his shoulder about intimacy and sex and even if she has a problem and she comes to the table with an issue, she's more likely to talk to him about the issue, especially if they were able to talk about it before marriage. She's more likely to be able to talk to him about those issues. And when she does ends up what what ends up happening is he's able to nurture that if he himself is nurturing. And then that gives her a safe space. To open up. And develop. A healthy relationship, a healthy, intimate relationship. 
So, and it happens the other way around as well. If the woman has not, if the woman is able to have a healthy relationship with intimacy and sexual activity, if she's able to have that type of healthy relationship, when she's dealing with this man who has those kind of problems, she is absolutely able to help him, give him a safe space to open up. But so many of us have such an unhealthy relationship with intimacy. I saw it coming, y'all. I'm so sorry. So many of us have an unhealthy relationship with intimacy. And we have to we have to find a way. You know, I don't have the answer to that. What I, I what all I know and really all I'm saying to anybody that's listening, all I'm trying to say is, is, yeah, that baby got 30 years. But the truth of the matter is, is that even though he got 30 years and he deserved to get something, but he too deserved to get some help that he will never get. I don't know if he'll get it in prison. I hope he does. And so let's let's circle back for a moment and let's talk about me too. From what I understand about the Me Too program is this young lady, um let me see if I can look her name up real quick, but this young lady She developed this program for mainly for young girls in the Bronx or in in New York who had no voice. And many of those young girls were being um, were being molested, were being raped by you know, men in the in the area and, and mothers, boyfriends and all kinds of stuff. Tarana Burke, Tarana Burke, I, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But like many other things, this young woman developed this program to give these young girls a, a, a voice, a way to speak out, a way to let people know what was happening and to get them help, a way to even if you couldn't get help, my God, you could at least get it off of you. And yet... Who took that over? That movement was founded by this black woman and was taken over, like all things, by white women. Let's just call it what it is. Let's just call it what it is. And white women took that program and literally ran with it and then had the audacity to run with that program and then destroy one of our black leaders Bill Cosby. Now, I know there's a whole lot of people out there to believe Bill Cosby got exactly what he deserved. I'm not in that camp. I'm not in that camp. And here's the reason why. So hear me out. If you just give me one minute, I can tell you why I feel like I'm not in that camp where all those white women came against that man. Because I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. And in the 70s, we, they talk about quaaludes. 
like y'all talk about 40s and weed, like this generation now talk about blunts and weed and all that kind of stuff. They were doing quaaludes. They used to pass around quaaludes at parties, especially parties where people like Bill Cosby and, and you know, the, the actors and the actresses of that time were hanging out. They passed around quaaludes like people pass around hors d'oeuvres. Don't misunderstand. If we back here in these old poor little cities knew about what was called a casting couch, then those young girls who was running out to L.A. to find their way in movies and, and programs and shows were willing. Many of them were willing to do whatever it took. Does that mean that it was right? Not at all. But did, does that mean that you went in there unknowingly? Not at all. You went in there knowingly. And did it happen to everybody? No, it didn't. But it happened to quite a few. And this also be very, very, very realistic. If any of those white women had have told any white man that Bill Cosby took from them, drugged them, and then took sex from them, they'd have hung him. Let's not, let's not play games about this. So when Bill Cosby, because the Me Too movement was taking such stride, they weaponized the Me Too movement. This is how it got so popular. The Weinstein, the Weinstein and the, the Bill Cosby. Now, one thing about Weinstein, here's the difference between the Weinstein or Weinstein, however you say his name, and Bill Cosby, in my opinion. Again, this is my opinion. The difference between the two was Harvey was very aware of what he was doing. And he threatened those people. He threatened to take them down, take them off. And he was a powerful player for everybody at the time. He made things happen, no doubt. There was no black man in that kind of power, not even Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby was a well-liked man. Bill Cosby was well-respected. But no, he was not the mover and the shaker that everybody was listening to and nothing moved without him. And, nothing, you know, he could make things happen no matter what color you were. And if he said, no, you couldn't have that role, you weren't going to get that role. And if he said you wasn't. No, that's not that's not who Bill was. Bill Cosby was a well-respected black man for his time. He was a well-liked black man. And the moment Bill Cosby made the decision to buy NBC, they made the decision to take him down by any means necessary. And of course, the Me Too movement with that, that the thing with Harvey Weinstein was going on and they saw how easy it was destroying Harvey Weinstein. So they already knew. That this black man was going completely down. And then what did you do? You got, you know, 15, 20 white women. As if, you know, Bill Cosby wanted white women. He married a black woman. Still married to her today. 
So now you got the whole world thinking all Bill Cosby ever wanted was these white women, which was not even true. And clearly, if he wanted any of them, he could have had them. So let's be really clear. And I know the young lady that I was talking to about this weekend when that when this portion came up, one of her thing was that none of them had anything to gain. Yes, they did. Every last one of them had a whole lot to gain. So let's first let's talk about the 15 minutes of fame. So they're going to get their 15 minutes of fame. And I guarantee you underneath behind closed doors, there were many deals struck. For their part in this movement, in this in this moment, this moment in time took a took down a very, very influential black man. And all up until this moment, Bill Cosby had done everything to make sure that his reputation of who he was as a black man was intact. He had done everything to ensure that his reputation as to who he was, was intact. So that when he brought news and when he brought film and when he brought projects forward for the black people to give them reason to rise up, we would hear him. And many black people did. He brought he everything he touched, everything he did was about inspiring and encouraging black people. So guess what? The, the move to buy an NBC was to absolutely further that cause for us as a people. But what did we do? We let the media tell us. Who he was. After all the evidence and all the work he had done, never in all these years was there ever a blemish. There was nothing that came out about him. The only thing that ever came out and it didn't come out about him. It came out about his son. And I don't even remember what it was, but his son was killed many years ago. But nothing ever came out about him. And again, let's just circle back real quick. The truth of the matter is, is that because he was a black man, if any one of those white women had a hair up there behind and began to speak back then, anything, I mean, literally to anyone, they would have had Bill Cosby's head. And so people say, but he admitted he gave him quaaludes. Sure, he did. And guess what? He didn't say it like, you know, uh, you know, it was like it was such a shameful thing. It's shameful now because people are saying that it's shameful. But back then, if you ask me for Quaaludes, hey, hey, bring me bring me that tray over here. Sure, I gave you Quaaludes. I didn't drop Quaaludes in your drink when you turned your head. And then snatch you by your hair in front of all these people and drag you into a room or coerce you. So let's not even say knock down, drag out. I didn't coerce you into a room. That's not what he did. But ladies and gentlemen, that's just my view. 
it's my time. So I'm going to go ahead and cut this short. And uh, I want to thank you all for listening. And of course, as always, you know, welcome to Black Talk. And I hope that you're back soon. Thank you for having tuned in to Black Talk. I hope that it was inspiring in some ways. I hope that it made you go, hmm. And in the meantime, if you are interested in reaching Black Talk, please feel free. Our email is Black Talk, and that's B L A C K T A L K at Proton, and that's P R O T O N Mail.com. So it's Black Talk at ProtonMail.com. Please feel free to give us, uh, send us an email, talk to us about anything you'd like to talk about, ask any questions you like, and if you would like, to become part of Black Talk or come on our show and we can have a dialogue back and forth, I'd love to have you. So again, please feel free to email us at blacktalk at protonmail.com. And as always, peace.